The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. I got a new Bible and I can barely read the print. So if I all of a sudden, it's most embarrassing. Seriously, this actually happened. This was to replace my smaller Bible that I always, I call it my Derringer, a little one that I can put in my pocket. And um, the... Uh, um, I had it one day, and I was, I was doing a thing over with some uh, some of the guys over at the inn. And I'm not kidding; it was like in this house, and it was all dark. And I was like doing this message, and it was just me and the guys. We're just we're doing that, and they all had beards too, you know, just like me. You know, we're all we're all sitting there, and it was like or hunkered down. And it was one of those things where I'm like, and I read the passage, and I'm like, can you read that passage right there? And I literally had to I literally had to reach. It was one of the most humiliating moments of my life. So was, we all left, and so I had to get a bigger Bible. But I still don't think it's quite big enough. Um, the uh, so you may be I may be calling on you. Is that right? Okay. Um, anyway, I, I, most of you know who I am. My name's Dave, and um, John and I work together a, a lot. Um, what I love about John is um, his ability to collaborate and his ability to bring other people in and to participate with him, and he does that with me. We talk all the time, and we really are are working back and forth about what does it mean to do ministry in the city of Seattle and him and his role, and then my, me and my role um, as a therapist to view it the same way. How do we do ministry in Seattle in all of our various contexts? We love, we love uh, those conversations, and so... Um, this series we're doing, if you just, if you weren't here last week, we're starting a new series and we're, we're going through the book of John. And, um, John is, uh, there are, there are four gospels. This is, a, this is the, uh, John is not a synoptic gospel. There are three synoptic gospels, meaning that they're synonymous. They're, there's, there's a sense of them being the same. They don't exactly track with each other, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written and there's, and there's, there's parallels to them. John takes kind of his own little stand on it. It really starts and he's really trying to reach people that would be using a lot of Greek thought. They're trying to figure out, he's trying to, to, to preach this message in a clear way that's going to make sense. And his main message, his main purpose is that we would believe. He is really trying to, to put forward Jesus and saying, I want there to be no mistake. This isn't just a good teacher. This isn't just a rabbi. This isn't just someone that's going to come in and, and be a nice figurehead for you. This is salvation. And he's going to drive that home. He's going to say, basically, here's the problem, is that there is a state of the world in which we're born in, which means it's, it's broken. There's been something that's shifted. And now we can feel that things just aren't quite right. You've got things in your life where you add them up and it's just not, it's not fair. You know that feeling where there's been injustice. You can look on the on the TV and you see where there's there's injustice, and we look at that and we want there's that drive, that feeling of incompleteness that we want it to we want it to somehow line up, we want it to be made right. C.S. Lewis says, matter of fact, that you even have that longing, that you even care about justice, should point you to God. Why would you care, unless and originally there would be a state of that lining up of that justice, and so that brokenness is what we're born into. And the idea is that into that brokenness, God sends His Son, Jesus, to come in and do what we can't, which is to make it right. Now, there are going to be two ways He's going to make it right. There's sort of a now, which means that He's going to do something in you. That when you are in Him, He's going to do something in you. There's a a completion that you will feel, that you won't feel, Without Jesus. That's what John is going to say. 
You can try and fill it up with your work. You can try and get the perfect relationship. You can try and do all the stuff you can with your family. You can try and get your house just right. You can try and make enough money. You can try and make certain achievements in your career, and it's still going to feel not quite right. And what John is going to say is, that's because it's about Jesus. That thing you feel, that itch, that's Jesus. And then he's also going to make it right in a way that has not happened yet, and that, that is that he's going to make the world right eventually. There's going to be another kingdom that's going to be coming. Theologians get all over the map about how that's going to look. And all I know when people ask me about it is, I say, I don't know. But what I do know is that it's going to be made right. There's going to be that feeling of justice. There's going to be that feeling that things are made whole again in a way that does not feel here. Make sense? Tracking with me? So John is definitely interested in making sure that you have confronted not just an image of Jesus that you were raised with, not just an image of Jesus that you may see on TV or that's put up or, or, or advertised, but the living, moving, breathing, life-changing Jesus. That's what he's going to be talking about. Now, He's going to have these interactions. And I love the Gospel of John. Because what you see Jesus do, imagine, imagine just for a second, if you were Jesus, imagine coming into the earth and for the first time as God opening up to human eyes. And suddenly being able to look around. Because I can imagine, I mean, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this. But this is my, my vision. In some ways, I can imagine the frustration of God not being able to touch and talk verbally and to be able to feel the pain. He feels it, but it's for the first time he's taking it on in the flesh. This is new. This is a once-in-history occurrence. Suddenly God is moving, walking around. And slowly he's going to begin to let people know that he's not just another teacher. Slowly he's going to begin to let people know that in fact it is God in the flesh come for this specific purpose of saving the world through his life, death, and resurrection. That's what, by the way, that, that is Orthodox Christianity. It's not just his death. It's not just his resurrection. It's his life, his death, and his resurrection. This process he's coming to do. He's going to let people know about it. Now Nicodemus... He's a guy he runs into. Now, Nicodemus is a teacher of the law. Now, that day, that would have meant like he's basically got his three stripes in the religious circles. He's like a religious sergeant. You know, he walks around and other lower guys are like, it's Nicodemus. It's, you know, and they're walking around and he walks around. He's a big guy. Um, he, in his circles of the Pharisees. And so, and what the Pharisees are doing, Pharisees oftentimes get a... How many people have heard of the Pharisees? Okay, almost everybody. Pharisees get a pretty bad rap. The Pharisees are in the midst of trying to get it right. Because what had happened was up until that time, all the way through the Old Testament, you have prophets. And 
God would speak through the prophets. So you have Isaiah, you have Jeremiah, you have Micah, you have all these prophets that God would come and speak to. Well, all of a sudden, Daniel comes and imagine this. You're hearing from God, you're hearing from God, you're hearing from God, you're hearing from God, and then all of a sudden, silence. It's quiet. And meanwhile, Jerusalem is getting crushed. The Romans are rising. You don't know what's happened. Why isn't God talking to us? You ever had somebody give you the silent treatment? And you start when you're a kid? Some of you raised with families where someone gives you the silent treatment when you're, when you've done something wrong and you try to get it right? Maybe I was too loud. Maybe I was too quiet. Maybe I didn't dress the right way. Maybe I wasn't successful. Maybe my grades weren't good enough. And you start trying to earn that back. You start trying to get back on track so that maybe your parent will start talking to, will, talking to you again. Well, that's what the Jews, the Jews start doing that. They start trying to figure out what do we need to do to get it exactly right so that God will speak to us again. And so they start watching every little thing. And they come up with a book called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah is not just is taking the Torah and it is taking every one of those lines and it is saying it does, it's not okay to work on the Sabbath. Well, what does that mean? What if I drop, if I come over here and I drop my pad, can I pick it up? Because I want to get it right. Because if I get it right, then maybe God will start talking again. And if God starts speaking again, maybe we will be saved from this persecution that's coming. So they get tighter and tighter and tighter. And the reason they're doing it is to see if they can get their people perfect enough then maybe God will start speaking again. Now into this silence comes Jesus. And Jesus is walking along and he meets a man who has spent his life studying this. He would have started when he was a little boy. Most likely he wouldn't have been raised by his own parents. He would have been brought up learning the Torah, learning the Mishnah. He would have known this thing backwards and forwards. And he suddenly he sees this Jesus. And Jesus is moving around and he begins to have these disciples come to him. And these, these disciples begin to, to, to come and, and gather around him and there starts to be a buzz about him. They've heard about this thing that happened over in Cana, this wedding where some kind of a thing happened. With the wine, there was a thing, you know, we don't know what it was. We're not sure. The reports are in. He's getting the report. Well, there's a report, uh, Mr. Nicodemus. Um, something happened with the wine. We're not really sure. There was a little bit of wine, then there was a lot of wine. They ran out of wine. We're not sure. It was the best wine at the end. We don't know, but it was a thing. And so Nicodemus is curious. So he goes to him, and he has a conversation. If you brought your Bible, open it up. I'm going to see if I can read mine. By the way, if you can read, if you've got good eyes, this is a great Bible. Uh, Holy Bible, Holy Bible, New American Standard Bible, Zondervan. You can go online, 35 bucks. I recommend going to get one and stick it in your car and leave it there so that you can bring it in. And then when you go through talks, mark it up. And then when you go back in, Stick it in your car. I really, really want to encourage you guys to have one Bible that when you're hearing these things, that you can write the little notes that come to you that you feel like God is saying to you in the talk or if there's something that I say tonight that's just a message. And the reason is that tonight may not be for you. This may be for you in two years. 
and somehow having a little tiny record, God can speak to you and having that somewhere that's accessible, I think is one of the, one of the, the great tools that you can do for yourself. So, little plug for Zondervan. Um, okay. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This is in uh, John 3. Verse 1. Sorry. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. You catch that? See, it's already, even though he's this big guy, he's not going to come up to Jesus in the daytime. Because already that would maybe show that he maybe had a little bit of doubt that their way was working. He's open. There's something that's, that's drawing him to Jesus. I want to tell you something that for a lot of you, this was the same way you came. That sort of coming by night. You had friends that if they knew you were coming to church, they'd be going, what are you doing? When I was in college, I was uh, in a fraternity. And I say that and know that the <laughs> there are some of you going, well, I'm just going to not listen anymore. Um, but <laughs> that's all right. I can, I can understand that. And I remember when I was a junior and I went and worked at a Christian summer camp. And in that, in that camp, I only went there because I wanted to work. One, my sister and I were real close and we wanted to work a summer together. And I'm like, okay, I'll go work at a summer camp. And in that, at that camp was the first time I really felt like I got it. It was this thing where either Jesus, either you are everything or you're nothing. And it was the first time where I, I watched these little kids trying to hear about Jesus and I watched how confusing some people were making. I was like, I want to make it more clear. And this tugging on my heart and this feeling like, this is what I want to do. And I came back into my fraternity and we would call Christianity the 30-day disease where we knew you'd catch it. But we knew if we just catch it, if we just kept you there, if we could just let you be in about 30 days, we'd start hearing it. Well, I know I said I was going to not do that anymore, but I'm just going to, you know, well, yeah, no, I couldn't go to the end. This, I, you know, well, you, oh, it's been a long time since I prayed, or whatever, and eventually it would fade. Well, it didn't fade for me; it stuck. And I remember going back in there, but there was that feeling. I remember my buddies making fun of me. They said, "Well, I got to go to class and save a seat for Lutz and save a seat for Jesus," you know. <laughs> Come on, Dave, you know. Some of you came by night. Some of you know what it's like to have to do this. Some of you come from families that are not Christian. They don't want to have anything to do with God. And they look at this thing with suspicion. And they look at this and they go, what kind of this, what, what cult are you part of? What is this thing that you're talking about? Why have you gotten all preachy on us? You know what it's like to have the pressures of the world around you. Well, that's what Nicodemus is feeling. Rabbi. We know you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now notice how he addresses Jesus. Immediately he is thinking out of his where? His head. And he's going to call him a teacher. And he's going to be start, he's going to start using his mind. Now this is the, this is the, um, the way that he operates in the world. It's his strength weakness. 
It's it's how it's it's the thing in him that is what does really well in certain certain circumstances, but it's also the thing that at its limit can keep him from seeing God. Now I've got core strength weaknesses. This is how I see people. You've got you've got bosses that some sometimes land all on strengths. And they're always the boss that's like, hey, how you doing? You doing alright today? You know, they're like little cheerleaders. You know, like they're just like, give me a Jeep or great, you know, great job, you, okay, bye. You know, and it's always, and then it's on to the next person. It's like, hey, how are you? Double G, great and great. You know, there's, they just keep kind of going on with that thing and eventually it's like, yeah, rah, 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 rah. Um, the, um, there's a caveat to that story that maybe next week, if you remind me, I'll tell you the most embarrassing thing that I have to tell you. But I'm not going to do it tonight. Um, you have to remind me. Tell me the t- tell the cheerleader story, Dave. Um, the uh, um, or go back to the cheerleading analogy. Um, the second ones are the bosses that work on your faults, and you know those those bosses too. They're the ones where you're never quite measuring up. They're like, oh, that was a great great job. I noticed that you missed this item. In your, uh, you know, can we just, this is great, good job, but if you could kind of get to this, you know what that's like, that feeling of always kind of having the negative pointed out of you. Well, the way that I do it, when I do the work, when I do my work with people, there's a woman named Harriet Lerner who wrote a series of books, and I really take her perspective that, that really it's about core strength weaknesses. That these core traits of yours are probably both the things that have caused you great joy in life, but they've also probably, they're the flip side of what's caused you a lot of pain. So for instance, I can be a very much a visionary. When I see, I'll tell you what, when I see this group, my hope is that at some point this room is way too small. I swear to you, that is exactly what I hope. My hope is that when Jim and Chris are doing small groups, my hope is that they don't have enough leaders. My hope is that there are so many people that, that, that are, that are trying to get into small groups that we've got to figure something else out. That's the way I see. I just happen to just do it. Now that's a great strength weakness because I can also charge right over people and hurt their feelings. Just part of who I am. And I work on that. I got guys in my life. I have, I have a small group that I've been a part of for 13 years. And, um, and another group that, that I've been a part of for two years. So I've got two groups in my life, and these guys are, they'll chisel me. You know, like, Lutz, you gotta go back and say that over again. Okay. Nicodemus, his strength weakness is his head. He is so steeped in learning. He's so steeped in his knowledge that he walks up to this person, and the only way that he's seeing him is in the rubric of the mind and the way he thinks in seeing him as a teacher. So he calls him rabbi, and he's putting the math together. It's all up here. When I work with people, couples, I'll oftentimes ask them to be honest with each other, and I'll listen to what they're talking about, and they'll tell me, and I'll see, I'll hear them tell me, tell them what they think. But I want, I said, well, you know what? I want you to be honest, but I want you to be honest in three, uh, three arenas. I want you to be honest in what you think, but I also want you to be honest in what you feel, and I want you to be honest in what you want. And usually, usually, I find that a person is weak in one of those areas. And not knowing how to talk from that area is part of what's keeping them stuck. Does that make sense? They keep telling the other person their opinion about the other person. Or they keep telling the other person what they want the other person to do. And they think telling them 
I feel not what you should feel, but what you do feel. I feel betrayed is what's going to move things forward. Make sense? Nicodemus's strength weakness is his head, his mind, how he's going to think through the world. And what Jesus is going to do is take that to its limit, his strength weakness, and meet him right there. Sorry. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus starts this, he's going to start a theological argument with him, a biblical discourse with him. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, huh, how can a man be born again when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, and be born can he? Jesus says, hmm. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the, of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed, I said to you, that you must be born again. What he's saying here is they're battling right now, and they're battling over what, what Nicodemus is trying to do is saying, do you know your scripture? What they're referencing is a verse in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, and it's all a discourse about what God is going to do when God comes to rescue Israel. And what it says is that when God comes to, re- to rescue Israel, there is going to be a new baptism of the Spirit and of water. And he's batting that back and forth with him. This idea of what is it going to be. And Jesus is letting him know, Nicodemus, man, I'm going to let you know that I do know Scripture. I'm going to meet you in a meeting of the minds. But, then track this. He says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born in the Spirit. What he's saying is, Nicodemus, look, here's the deal. You can't control God by your mind. You can't have enough thoughts that are going to contain what God is doing right now. What God is doing is going to go outside your picture. It's going to come under the door. It's not going to be controllable by you. i got to be honest with you. I think what Jesus would say to me if I were in Nicodemus' shoes is I think he'd say, Dave, your vision is good. But you can get so farsighted and so clear about it that you miss me in the little things, Dave. You walked right by that guy standing on the street right there. He wasn't a part of your vision, Dave. And that's the one I wanted you to reach. You missed him. Your great strength weakness, Dave, will take you so far. It's good. I put it in you. I built you. But it's not enough. It's not going to leave you complete. It's not going to work to fix your world. But here's the exercise I want you to try, if you're willing. Think for a minute. And if you've got a pen, write it down. What's one of your core strengths? See if you can write it, put a word on it. If you don't have a pen, just see if if you can think about it. What is it? Is it your intellect? It's a great strength. Is it your vision? Are you like me? 
Is it your passion? Maybe you have a caring heart. Servant's heart. Maybe it's your humor. Maybe it's your creativity. Maybe it's your adventurous spirit. What's a core strength for you? You got it? Now, see if you can flip it and see the weakness side of that. Where does it get you in trouble? Where does it run out? Where does it actually even participate in some of the things that are causing you harm or inflicting harm on others? Where does it play part of what is not working in your life? See if you can see the flip side of that same strength. Now imagine Jesus coming up to you, just like he did with Nicodemus and saying, John, Mark, Lisa, I know what your strength, your core strength weakness is. I know it because I built it. But it's not going to, it's not going to work to to complete you, to make this world right again. It's not going to cure that itch that's in you. It's not going to be enough. You're trying to manage the whole world. You're trying to make it all make sense. It's not going to do it. It's going to run out. I am uncontrollable. You cannot manage me. You can't put me in a box. J.B. Phillips' book, Your God is Too Small. You think you've got me figured out? You don't. You think you know who I can reach? You don't. You think you know what I'm up to? You don't. I want you. And this is how I'm going to do it. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him not in his own ability not in his bank account not in his core strength weakness not in the esteem of others not in how your body looks not in how popular you are not on whether or not you've solved everything with your parents. Not if you feel on time with life. Not if you feel like you're going to be single forever. It does not matter. But those who believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. And what that means literally right there is to shame the world. God did not send his son in here to shame you. God did not send his son in here to make you feel like you've not done enough. He says, Nicodemus, I know you feel like you haven't done enough. You're always trying to do more. You're always trying to use this core strength weakness of yours to get to make it perfect. You know, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. That feeling of always trying to get it exactly right. It's not going to be good unless it's perfect. And send the Son to come here and make you feel like you're not getting it right. But that the world might be saved through Him. 
See, I have this vision of a little kid lost in snow. Outside, it's blowing and it's getting colder. He's wandered off a trail somewhere and he's sitting there and he doesn't know where his parents are. He can't find his way home and he's trying to see anything familiar, any familiar land sites. He can't see it. And he's starting to get cold. And you know what it's like to be cold in snow because we just went through it. We've just seen our entire city completely shut down over snow. We know what it's like, but just picture this little kid stuck out there and he's starting to get quiet. He's starting to get quiet and he's starting to get sleepy. And in the midst of the snow, there's a gentle hand that comes and puts his hand on his shoulder and says, I got you, kid. I came to get you. You can't find your way out of this one. The only way home is me. Take my hand and walk with me. Get you home. Get you warm. Make things right. There are two invitations that I see in this for us, you guys. One, I think there's an invitation for us that John is is making that it is our time to reach the Nicodemus. The Nicodemus is around us. I want to challenge somebody in this room to figure out how many people between the ages of 22 and 30 there are in Seattle. Somebody in here knows how to do that. Somebody in here knows how to get on their computer and go do the research. And I want to know how many people between the ages of 22 and 30 are there in Seattle. When I was a pastor in Milwaukee, I led a college ministry. And and um, when we went down there, we started off with about 35, 40 people. And we were in the suburbs and we started praying, where is God wanting us to go? And we started looking at the city of Milwaukee. And there were six universities down there. The problem was there was nobody down there. I said, why, why are we out here in the suburbs? They've got to drive 20 minutes to get to us. They're never going to come over here. So we started praying over that. And I said, well, I, I, I had um, adult volunteer leaders with me. One guy named Steve Dutton, who I called Haas. And he was about 6'5", and he weighed about 240. He was this gigantic man. And I said, Steve, I said, I, I said, I, I said, I said Haas, Haas, go down there and find out how many total students are in all these schools. He came back. He says, Dave, there's 54,000. Nobody knew that. Big college in what was in Wisconsin is over in Madison. These are all little colleges. Some were commuter colleges. One was an engineering college. One was a was a community college. Fifty four fifty four thousand. So we just started saying it. There are fifty four thousand college students in the city of Milwaukee, and we think Jesus wants every one of them. What are you guys doing? How are you doing with your program? I don't know, but there are fifty four thousand college students in the city of Milwaukee, and we think Jesus wants every one of them. We just started, we put that on t-shirts. 54,000 college students and Jesus wants every one of them. We just started taking that to home. We didn't have a fancy vision statement. We didn't have a fancy thing of what we're, we're going to pray and eat pizza and three peas, whatever. It's not, we didn't have that. We just knew there were 54,000 college students in the city of Milwaukee and that Jesus wanted every one of them. And if we were going to do a program, if we were going to be involved in something, if we were going to put our teeth into something, it was about 54,000 college students in the city of Milwaukee and Jesus wanted every single one of them. I want to know how many people between the ages of 22 and 30 are there in the city of Seattle? Now, what are we doing? You see, I don't think God gathers people to gather people together. I think people, God gathers people together for worship, 
to grow them and to send them. And I want to know what is around you that God is sending this group to. It's time for this group to grow. Not just out, but deep. Join a small group. If you've been sitting and kind of coasting in your faith, I'm going to put a challenge to you. What's 2009 going to be? What is God calling you to? There are Nicodemuses all around us that look like they have everything. They look like they know everything. They don't look, they look like they don't have a need in the world. Well, let me tell you about Nicodemus. You know where else he shows up? He shows up when Jesus is on trial. And suddenly his great strength weakness comes and he starts arguing that Jesus should receive a fair trial. He doesn't win. But he's there when none of the other disciples are left anymore. You know where else he shows up? He shows up to help Joseph of Arimathea take the body of Jesus into the tomb. You see, you never know who you're talking to and what effect it's going to have on their life. Transform Nicodemus, this little conversation he has. You don't know the people in your work, the friends that you have. You don't know who it's going to be that's going to hear it, see it, and be transformed. You don't know. But I want to give you that vision to say, I believe that God can equip this group to be a huge, huge hand to reach this city. We stop there? No. Go to Haiti. Go take a short-term mission trip. Take a long-term one. We reach out. But I want to challenge you specifically with Seattle. How do you do that? I want to give you a, I'm always a big on kind of some practical how-tos. Here's one. I want to challenge you to pray. This is a tough prayer. Get ready for it. That God would give you a heart that would care for the city of Seattle like you never have. That's it. Because I don't want a hundred people running out to save Seattle because they think they should or because they think they're better than them or because they're on some kind of a mission to see how many numbers they can get. I want it because there are hearts that God has given a breaking for. The only time Jesus is recorded as crying is when he's looking out over Jerusalem. Seattle, does it cause you to weep? Thinking about how many thousands there are, 22 to 30 right now, that are in their room that think, this is it. This is all I got. There's no solution for this. Second challenge. I did this with a group of five guys. That once a summer, for three summers in a row, we read a gospel a week for 12 weeks. Now, the reason why I say that is because I think that when you know the gospels, it's easier to talk about your faith without sounding goofy. You know what I mean? I use it all the time in my therapy. And I see people that are non-Christians and Christians alike. And I, you know, they know where I am. I've got my MDiv up on the wall. They know where I'm coming from. I don't make that a secret. But, that, but I want to honor them. But it's easy for me to say, you know, it's kind of like when Jesus was talking in the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, he's saying, let your light shine. He's saying, you are light. Let it shine. It's easy for me to do that because I, I'm picturing in my mind. I'm, I've walked through those Gospels so many times. I'm walking. I'm, I can walk them. They're just 
they're referential for me. And so you can speak to people that aren't necessarily Christian because it for them will be sort of archetypal. It'll be sort of more of a general truth. But what is it doing? It's pointing. It gives them something that lets them know that, A, you, there's something in you. And you didn't talk to me goofy. Maybe I want to know more. Versus coming up and going, you know, doing something weird like, you know, I just want to tell you something and saying something. Can I'm saying it? People are going to come back and go, that's all I can say. I should be able to say it. Perfect. Fine. But if but it, what I'm trying to get you to say is, is take the challenge. You don't have to study the whole Bible. It'd be great if you can. But start with the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 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 Twelve weeks. See if you can do it. You and get three other friends. One Gospel a week. It takes it takes some reading. But what will eventually happen is those, the pages start turning faster and faster and faster. You're reading them and you're not scrutinizing every single line. It's almost like Jesus kind of comes to life. It starts doing what he wants to do and you're not making him do anything. And he starts working with people. You think he shouldn't do that. He shouldn't have said that. He starts moving so fast because you've got to keep reading that Jesus starts to claim himself on his own terms. And I think Jesus becomes more real. So there's a second thing to do. First thing, we got to reach the Nicodemus is around us. The second thing is, I want to challenge us, is to surrender the Nicodemus inside of us. I got one in me that I think, after all these years, I go back to it all the time, that I can manage my world by my strength weaknesses. I can do it. If I can just be charismatic enough or funny or smart enough, If I can just get everybody to get along, like I'm kind of a gatherer. Here's the challenge, an invitation for you tonight. When you're on your pillow, call it a pillow exercise. I love giving people pillow exercises because you know when you put your head on the pillow, you're going to be thinking like a racehorse anyway. You know you do, so you might as well do something constructive. So here's here's the idea. So I want to challenge you to name your core strength weakness, the thing that you use to try to make your world work. It's a good thing. By the way, don't walk out of your thing. It's a bad thing. It's good. God built you with that. Your job is to grow up the strength and minimize the weakness. That's discipleship. Through the power of the Spirit. That's what God's doing with you. That's not a bad thing. The idea is to say, it's not going to be enough. So I want to challenge you is to clench your fists. Say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender my vision. To you, Lord. Lord, I surrender my perfectionism to you. It's a good thing I've got that. Makes me great at my job. But Lord, if we're going to reach the Nicodemuses around us, and if I'm going to surrender the Nicodemus within me, I got to give that strength weakness to you. I'm going to let go. That's it. Then go to sleep. You're done. The idea, you guys, is that no group is meant to come together and stay closed. Henry Nouwen says the moment you close a group, the moment it starts dying. The idea is that God calls us together for a purpose, to worship God so we can do that, to grow us. I challenge you, join a small group. It works. And the third is to send us.
And he puts us right smack dab in the middle of a mission field. I'm excited for 2009. I am. For my talks with John. My prayer for each one of you is that you walk out of here tonight knowing that God sees exactly where you are. And for some of you tonight, you're going to walk out of here going, this talk was exactly for me. That Nicodemus inside of you that feels like you've got to do the whole world by yourself. God's saying, I want that. And for some of you, it's preparation time. Because there are people around your world that eventually, my hope is, you'll say what Jesus said to the first disciples that he called, which is, come and see. Come and see. That's all he said. Thumbs up if you're with me. You tracking? God, thanks for every single person in this room. I appreciate, Lord, this space in which to share, and I pray, Lord, that that there would be something here for them. We surrender. Lord, I know there are people in this room right now that know exactly what they need to surrender, and I'm going to pray for them. I pray that they would have that sense that you see that. And I am excited for what gets cleared out of the way now for your work in their life. The direction their lives are going to take, the people they're going to meet. And Lord, I also pray, I pray for the people that are sitting by themselves right now. That don't know you. That look like they have it all together or look like they have nothing together. Lord, we need you to reach them. We can't do it on our strength weaknesses. It's not going to be our program, Lord. We know that. It's not going to be how smart or funny we are. We know that. It's going to be by a demonstration of your power and your presence. So we surrender what we're good at. We surrender the core strength weaknesses in us. And we just... Our eyes are open to what you will do with us in this city. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks.